Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This podcast is independent and ad-free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Last December on this podcast, we talked about the Krampus and other associated Christmas demons, like Frau Brechte, Nectruprecht, Belsnickel, and Per Futard. All of them are dark mirrors to Santa Claus. Where Santa is a jolly giver of gifts, they are fearsome bringers of pain, hunting down and punishing bad children in the dark of night, yuletide devils whose dark laughter can be heard just under the music of the carols. But what if I told you that they weren't the only Christmas badasses? What if I told you that there was a Christmas character who was just as fearsome as any of those, but a figure of light rather than a figure of darkness? A figure who hunts demons, who slaps heretics, and who could exert power over the heavens themselves. I am speaking of none other than Saint Nicholas. No, not Santa. Not Santa Claus. Not yet. We will get to Santa Claus. Today, I want to talk about the guy who kind of shares a name with Santa Claus, whose whole deal is sort of bound up with Santa Claus, and who provides the quasi-historical antecedent to everyone's favorite jolly old elf, St. Nicholas of Myra, also known as Nicholas the Wondermaker. So, who was this guy? Well, it's hard to say, and I really want to emphasize this, that today's episode is going to deal with a lot of legends, a lot of things written after St. Nicholas's death, and a lot of stuff which, as you will see, cannot possibly be true. When we talk about St. Nicholas, we're talking about a figure who is based on a real person, but belongs just as much to the realm of legends as stories as somebody like Hercules or Pericles does. So keep that in mind. The real person we know very little about, the legendary person we have awesome stories about. Now, the real guy, who was he? Well, we don't know exactly when he was born. Sometime around the late 200s CE, maybe around 270 or so, in Mira. That's a town in what we now call Turkey. Most of the accounts, though, are spotty on St. Nick's early life. In fact, we don't even know what his parents' names were, and the accounts that we have. So even those basic details are unnailed down. One of the things that is also curiously missing from narratives about St. Nicholas's life is a conversion narrative. In a lot of early saints' lives, there's the tale about how they become a Christian, especially in the first couple of centuries of Christianity. Most of the early saints are portrayed as being born into paganism, and then they think, you know what? Jesus is just all right with me. I'm in for this whole new Christianity thing. Who cares what the various Roman emperors think? I am going to do the Jesus thing. And then they die horribly and become martyrs. 
St. Nicholas doesn't have that, though. The accounts seem to agree that his parents were actually pretty well-off Christians in Mira. And, at some point, young Nicholas decided to become a priest. To do that, he joined a study abroad program and went to Jerusalem. Later on, supposedly, he was in the right place at the right time, coming back to Mira and basically immediately becoming an archbishop. The story goes is that church authorities in Mira had lost their archbishop. He had died of old age, and various existing church authorities couldn't agree who the new archbishop in town should be. So, to break their impasse, they let God decide. They gathered in a church, and they said, you know what? The first priest who walks in, he's the new archbishop. Nicholas, fresh from his study abroad program in Jerusalem, was in fact the first priest to walk in, and he immediately became the new archbishop. He got a very large hat and a bunch of authority, and there we go. Nicholas, Archbishop of Mira. Nicholas supposedly died sometime around the mid-300s, and the date given is usually December 6, 343, and that date, December 6th, is his feast day. However, once again, we don't know for sure. We don't know the exact year of his death or his birth, much less the exact day. But how do we know about this guy? What sources do we have? Well, most of the long-form descriptions of who St. Nicholas was didn't appear until after he died. And the earliest one that we know of was from a Christian writer named Eustratius of Constantinople, and he wrote a thing called The Life of St. Nicholas. Now, you might think that this text, called The Life of St. Nicholas, would be a great place to look for details about the life of St. Nicholas. We don't have it. We'd have no surviving copies of Eustratius of Constantinople's biography of St. Nick. We have references to it. We have other writers saying that it existed, but we don't have the text itself. And this happens a lot. This is a frustration for all kinds of people who study history. Plenty of times you'll find a writer referencing or summarizing or arguing against some other text, and they just kind of take it for granted that their contemporary audience would be able to go read that text or was familiar with it already. However, us, centuries later, are not familiar with it, can't read it, and can't look it up if we want to because it has not survived. So, the earliest known biography of St. Nick? Not a thing anymore. We do know, however, that he was popular in what we now call Turkey. There were lots of people who venerated him, and there are references to St. Nicholas in art and iconography. However, that's nothing like a biography. The earliest surviving full-length biography we have for him is by a scribe called Michael the Archimandrite, and that was written sometime in the early 800s, centuries after Nicholas died. Nicholas, again, probably lived between 270 and 243 CE, and so dealing with a biography from the 800s means that we are almost certainly dealing with something that is not entirely accurate. By the way, in case you're wondering about the author's title, and Archimandrite 
is the head of a monastery in what we would now call the Orthodox Church. So if you want to think of Michael the Archimandrite as Boss Monk Mike, that's totally fine, and I will refer to him as such throughout this podcast. There are some other earlier references to Nicholas as well. For example, we know that the Byzantine Emperor Theodosius II ordered a church to be named after him, and the Church of St. Nicholas of Myra still stands today. But man, it's not great in terms of pre-800 sources on this guy who lived in the 200s and 300s. So Boss Monk Mike and later writers it is. And these stories that they wrote down about this guy are wild. One of Nicholas's names in the early church was Nicholas the Wondermaker, and it's easy to see why. Michael the Archimandrite characterizes him as a kind of hyper-evangelical, demon-sundering badass. So he writes, quote, The holy-minded and true teacher Nicholas, while he instructed, if one must speak briefly, those whom he shepherded to cultivate his wholesome and blameless faith, was moved by a divine fervor and was illuminated in his soul by the Holy Spirit that dwelt within him, and arose with great bravery for the utter destruction of demons. For when he saw the abominations of the deception caused by idols, and their altars still in existence in the metropolis of Myra, and the demons who rejoice in others' misfortunes, feasting on these, in that more simple were deceived through certain observances of omens, he was stirred against this ungodliness." And after rekindling himself in his unwavering confidence in God, and in place of visible weapons, arming himself with his faith in Christ, he went about all the land of the metropolis that was under his care, raising and overturning the temples of these idols, and thereby driving away the demons from that place, and rendering their deception and wrongdoing ineffectual. Unquote. And, wow! That's amazing. And it is always kind of weird to read early Christian writing like this. And it's not enough that people who still worship paganism aren't just wrong. It's not like worshiping Zeus or Jupiter or what have you is just worshiping a thing that doesn't exist. No, they have to characterize them as being demon worshipers. <laughs> So, I don't know, I guess whatever pagan gods were still popular in Mira at the time were not merely non-existent, but actual forces of malevolence, according to Boss Monk Mike, at least. But apparently Nicholas, according to Michael the Archimandrite, was able to not just get people to stop worshipping demons, but actually raise and overturn the temples. So, according to Michael the Archimandrite, the man who would become the basis for Santa Claus literally destroyed the houses of worship of his competition. That is a very unsanta thing to do, honestly. And it's not the only story we have about St. Nicholas putting the hurt down on people he disagrees with theologically. This next story is actually a bit later. We'll get back to Michael the Archimandrite's account. But this is a story about St. Nicholas that showed up in later Christianity. Now, Christianity, you might have heard, is a somewhat divided religion. And even before Protestantism came along, there were fissures, there were ideological disputes, and there were full-on 
theology fights about what Christianity even was, even in its first century. So one of the earliest Christian, well, they call it a heresy now, but one of the earliest Christian divergences was from a Christian priest in Egypt who was active in the third century named Arius. Now, his version of Christianity was non-Trinitarian. That is, he didn't think that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were one and the same entity. He thought of them as separate things. He thought that the Father preceded the Son, and the Son didn't exist until the Father made the Son exist. Which, when you think about it, is a way more intuitive way of thinking about these things, because that's how parenthood works on, like, Earth. But this idea of Arius's and this way of conceiving the relationship between God and Jesus was scandalous and unacceptable for a lot of early church leaders who really wanted to assert themselves as monotheistic rather than polytheistic. So his version of non-Trinitarian Christianity, which became known as Arianism, which is an unfortunate name when you say it out loud, caused other Christian leaders to denounce him as a heretic. And in an almost certainly apocryphal story, St. Nicholas and Arius both attended the First Council of Nicaea in 325. And in that story, Nicholas and Arius got into something of a theological debate that ended with Nicholas slapping Arius across the face. St. Nick got so sick of Arius's heretical BS that he lost his cool in front of everybody at the Council of Nicaea and just, bam, right in the kisser. So the next time you see Santa Claus, imagine him slapping a non-Trinitarian third-century Christian heretic across the face like he's going to challenge him to a duel all Hamilton-style. Now, the coda of this story is that you're not supposed to slap people at church meetings, even if you are slapping somebody that everyone else thinks is heretical. So, in this tale, Nicholas, kind of like a renegade cop who's forced to turn in his gun and his badge because he's a loose cannon who plays by his own rules, was temporarily defrocked by church authorities for slapping a heretic. But only temporarily, because after all, he slapped a heretic. That's the story, at least. We don't have any corroborating evidence for it, and it looks like that story originates from centuries after the Council of Nicaea, and there's nothing in contemporary sources that we have about the First Council of Nicaea suggesting that there was a dust-up between Nick and Arius. However, Nicholas's name does show up on a list of attendees, so we do know that Nicholas of Myrna did attend the Council of Nicaea, and it may very well have been the guy who inspired Santa Claus, or some other different Nicholas of Myrna. Maybe. We don't know. Uncertainty. We have to live with it with this stuff. In another tale of saintly badassery, Nicholas stays the execution of three prisoners, all of whom were wrongly convicted by a jury who'd been bribed to sentence them to die. Michael the Archimandrite has Nicholas stay the execution, not with prayer, or not with words, but by literally jumping in and pushing the executioner's sword out of the way. And again, Michael the Archimandrite makes Nicholas look like 
kind of a badass action man. He's godly, sure, but he's also a guy who's going to jump in front of a blade to prevent an innocent man from being put to death. In a somewhat less aggressive tale, Nicholas of Mira is on a boat with some sailors, and a storm kicks up. The sailors have never seen anything like this storm. They're afraid. They start to panic. Nicholas, though, calms the waves with a prayer, and the storm subsides. And now we're getting into the serious, improbable, supernatural saint stuff. One of the gnarliest stories about Nicholas is that one day some children went into a butcher shop, and it turned out they picked the wrong butcher to say hi to because the butcher murdered the kids, put them into a salt barrel, and planned to sell the resulting kid cutlets as if they were pork later on. Nicholas, later on, strolled on into the butcher shop, tapped on the barrel, and said something to the effect of, Children, come out. The kids popped off the barrel lid and were miraculously de-murdered. The wicked butcher, unfortunately, wouldn't get to sell them as murder meat a la Sweeney Todd. And now St. Nicholas is the patron saint of children. But you're probably wondering, hey, where's the Santa stuff? This demon sundering and heretic slapping and children unmurdering is all well and good, but when are we going to get to the Santa part? Well, the closest thing we have of Nicholas of Myrna doing Santa Claus-type stuff is him saving three poor girls whose father couldn't afford a dowry to marry the moth. Because of that, the father was thinking about having the girls resort to sex work. And, bear with me, while I quote Michael the Archimandrite at length, this story right here is Saint Nick doing Santa things, so I'm going to read basically the whole thing. Quote, There was a certain man among those who were recently famous and well-born, and he was a neighbor, his home being next to Nicholas's. Owing to the plotting and envy of Satan, who always has a grudge against those who prefer to live a life in accord with God, this man was squeezed by great poverty and lack of resources. He had gone from being well-off to extreme indigence. He had three daughters, who were both shapely and very attractive to the eye, and he was willing to station them in a brothel so that he might thereby acquire the necessities of life for himself and his household. For no man among the lordly or powerful deigned to marry them lawfully, and even among the lower classes and those who owned the least bit of something, there was no one well-minded enough to do this, and so the man looked away from his salvation and, as it were, fainted at the thought of prevailing upon God with persistence in prayer. By this logic, he came to assent to situating his daughters in the abyss of such dishonor. But the Lord who loves humankind, who never wishes his own creation to become hostage to sin, sent him a holy angel. I mean the godlike Nicholas, both to rescue him, along with his whole household from poverty and destruction, and to restore readily his previous prosperity. For when he learned of the situation, the man who was and who was proven to be all honored and truly faithful steward of the Lord pondered in his mind this advice of Solomon's that is full of help. 
God loves a person who is a cheerful giver. And the one who pities a beggar is himself nurtured. And again, provide good things before God and humankind. And that one from the same place that is apt in various ways, save those who are led away to death. By the expenditure and very generous donation of his own money, Nicholas became a most ready resource for their defense, and he saved them, though they were already being led away to a death of profligacy. Now I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit, but still quoting Michael the Archimandrite, bear with me, the true model of purity and author of sympathy, Nicholas, wishing to use his own money to help the man and to lead him with his daughters away from the shameful and dishonorable deed which had, in truth, already been decided for them. What does he do? He does not appear to him in person or speak to him about a gift or any type of relief. Thereby, freeing him from shame while at the same time very carefully taking the trouble not to trumpet his own charity. After hurling a bag containing a large amount of gold into the house through the window at night, he quickly hastened home. When the man who had been shown this mercy found the bag, when it had become day, he was seized with joy, and with ungovernable tears he gave thanks to God with amazement and astonishment, wondering in himself where so great a blessing had come to him from. The father of the girls, after receiving this bride price, in the belief it had been provided to them from God, and considering that the godsend was a sufficient contribution for a dowry, without delay, contrived a marriage to his first daughter, having acquired for her an honorable life with joy and pleasure, granted by the mediation of St. Nicholas. Unquote. So there you have it, the earliest known written account of St. Nicholas of Myrna doing Santa Claus stuff. Now, one of the things I'm wondering about reading this is that in this story, the daughters don't know it was St. Nick. The man doesn't know it was St. Nick. St. Nick apparently didn't want to trumpet his own charity, so he didn't make a big deal of giving this money away. And in fact, he did it anonymously by throwing a bag of coins through the window. So how do we have this story? That's um, kind of a problem when you're talking about saint biographies and also i don't know if hey the young women were able to pay a dude to marry them is a happy ending but this again is spun as the basis for the whole christmas gift giving thing and in later versions of this story nicholas scores a few three pointers by tossing the gold coins straight into the girl's stockings which are hung up to dry but that detail was added later michael the archimandrite only has him hurling a bag through a window. There's nothing about shoes or stockings or anything in there. But again, we can't really speak definitively about St. Nick. And even in death, certainty eludes us about where the mortal remains of Nicholas of Myrna are. Multiple sites claim to have his relics. The Church of St. Nicholas in Myrna claims to have relics of their guy. And so does another church in Bari, Italy. And the Bari relics, which are, you know, a bunch of old bones, supposedly exude a fragrant mirror-like liquid. So St. Nicholas's relics in Bari supposedly exude a seasonally appropriate fragrance, which is weird. Uh, and there are also other churches in Venice and in Turkey that claim to have relics of the saint, 
but there's no way of determining if a centuries-old bone fragment actually came from the Archbishop of Myrna, who supposedly raised the houses of demons, raised a hand against heretics, calmed the storms, and was a man of great generosity. But how did he turn into Santa Claus? How did this guy who could unmurder kids after they'd been stuck in a barrel turn into Kris Kringle? Well, it's complicated. And next week, Nicholas of Myrna goes on a long post-mortem journey from being a mortal man to being an icon of the holidays. Next week, St. Nick gradually gets bound up with the story of Santa Claus. This podcast is member-supported. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to become a member. And as a thank you, there is some members-only content that you can go to the site and download and listen to and enjoy. Also, go on Apple Podcast or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice. Give us ratings and reviews. Those help other people find the show. Uh, I'm on social media, on Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. I'm also on Twitter. I am at Joe Streckert. Uh, go ahead and follow me there. Thank you all very much for listening. Next week, we talk about Santa Claus. See you then. Don't leave